number for Studio A and Studio B, and best of all, it's free. Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though, so check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958, and Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host... Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Nightlight. Step away from that mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Tonight is a, is a really um, exciting night for me. First of all, I have a new producer, so I welcome Patrick on to the show with me. I am looking very much forward to working with him. He is experienced and he talks, and it's wonderful, Patrick. I'm glad you're here tonight. Why, thank you, Barbara. It is my pleasure to be here to help you out. (laughs) Well, there has to be a techie here. I can talk, but the rest of it, not so much, not so much. I'm not hardcore techie. I'm kind of halfway in the middle. I'm techie enough to be techie, but I'm not as techie as some. You get me on the radio. That's all I care. Right. (laughs) Tonight's guest is, is a really amazing lady. Her name is Marianne Betty. She's a family physician in Southbury, Connecticut, and that's the town where she was born and raised. She's a clinical professor at the University of Connecticut's Medical School, Quinnipiac University's Medical School, and the University of Vermont's Medical School. Busy lady. She went to Loyola University in Chicago and attended medical school at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. And for 18 years, she lived and worked in the high desert of Palmdale and Lancaster, California, before moving back to Southbury 17 years ago. Now, while Marianne never anticipated becoming an author, as many writers know, sometimes there's a story that just won't let you go until it's written. And that's what happened to her. When Marianne's husband, Tom, asked her to write this book, she never thought she would. Twelve years later, it has finally seen the light of day, and her hope is that in reading it, you connect to the people and ideals that are most important to you in living a fulfilling life. We're waiting for Marianne to call in. Don't know if she's quite made it yet. This is her very first interview, so um, 
when last I spoke with her, she was finding an adapter for her headset. So it may I take think her. She's right here. Okay. Is that you? you but... Okay. Is that you, Marianne? She probably has her mute on. Okay. Oh, uh, well, that could be. Marianne, I see you, but I can't hear you. So check your phone. Shake it up and down, throw it against the wall, and let's see if we can get you on the line. I can hear the dogs and you, yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're getting, <laughs> getting over the bus. How about now? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, well, We're I all can't set. Too, so I don't know if I press the mute. How about now? Can you hear me? You're fine. Yeah. You're really good. So it's almost like a Verizon commercial. Can you hear me now? Well, the funny thing is, I can, I got this headset, but I can hear you on the phone. Having okay. Well, excuse me for interrupting like that, Barbara. Sure. Uh, having the headset on with a phone may or may not be optimum. If you can hear on the phone, you may just want to go ahead and run with that. Uh, unless it uh, so fails that you have to try the the phones, but you're okay. sounding real good. As long as you can hear us, we can hear you real. Well. I can hear you fine now. I'm on just the phone, so I took the headset off, and I'm just doing just fine. Okay. Well, I've I've given your bio and everything out to everybody. I haven't Great. really I haven't really uh, told people the name of your book, though. Of course, it was in the advertisement for the show that was all over Facebook. Right. Name of your book is Living with a Dead Man, a Love Story. And right. that is a title that will grab many people and they'll look at it and they'll go. <laughs> but yeah, that's about it. It's, 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 it's absolutely a open mouth. Okay. What, you know, it, it pulls up all sorts of strange and weird um, pictures, but but it's not a strange and weird story. It's a very personal journey, and and um, it 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 was beautifully written. I felt. Um, but you you want to kind of give us a little, uh, an encapsulated version of the story of the book itself, and then then why it took you twelve years to write it. <laughs> okay, so you want me to tell you like what the the story like, uh, beginning to end kind of a thing. Quickly. Yeah, you don't have to go chapter by chapter. Just no, sort of. no, no. So um, the story is about um, my husband's diagnosis with lung cancer, which showed up when he had a seizure because we never knew it was in his lung. We only saw him have a seizure, and then we traced around to find out where this cancer started from, and that's what we found out. And then... The story is about how we went forward trying to figure out, you know, how we would best treat this thing, how we would get rid of the cancer that was in the brain and then try to treat the lung cancer and then ultimately how that did not work. And then once we were through about six months of that, realizing it wasn't going to work and then... Um, fell over into the, okay, so you're dying, now what do you want to do? And <laughs> that that uh, took us on a, a completely different and strangely exhilarating journey to the end. And there was a lot of 
interesting things that happened in that process. Some of them um, were just so amazing to me. I kept saying to my husband, somebody's got to write a book. Somebody's got to write a book about this, you know, because everybody's coming. They're asking for forgiveness or you're asking for their forgiveness. I mean, there's all kinds of things were going on. And um, he looks at me and says, you know, with those kind of rolling eyes over to the corner of your head and he's like looking at me and I said don't look at me I can't write I said I can't even spell and I can't type and I had all my boyfriends write my college papers so <laughs> I'm no good I'm no good at this I'm a scientist so um then he says to me well you've already got the title and I said oh really what's that and he said living with a dead man I was like oh my god that's just so typical of him kind of you know, right up in the face with the title. So Yeah. Well now he was uh, a doctor as well. Well, he was a uh he was a psychotherapist. He didn't have his PhD. He had his masters in uh, in therapy. Mm-hmm. That's a two year program as opposed to a four year program, but they really are the best therapists, the the masters in uh in uh, psychotherapy or in, and, and what was his specialty? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that was, that's the book. And then we go through the end to when we get to his memorial service. And that's basically the end of the book, except for the kind of some of the lessons that he talked about. And mm-hmm. once he made the, the flip over to, oh, I'm dying, I better do my work here at the end. Yeah. Now, what what was his specialty in the you know? Well, in his specialty people? he he was a special specialty was in death and dying. He <laughs> loved to work with people who were um, who were like had a brush with death or were possibly going to die or if they lost a significant body part, you know, like a okay. breast or a leg or a you know a hand or something. He. He liked working with those people the best. Amazing he, that that you know, and then he he gets to to actually experience the whole thing, and really. and you have to write the book. Uh, really, really, yeah, really. That, that's typical of the whole relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, much as this book is focused on dying i found it was a it, it was i would i would not say it's a book i mean the title says it's it's living with a dead man it tells you what's happening and yeah. yet i found it a very um enlightening and and positive focus on the art of living as opposed really? to exactly. dying so it, it well, was a, a book about life it wasn't a book about death that's why when we came up with the the title, I was like, the accent's got to be on living, not on the dead man, because there was more living that went on in that last half of his of his year with the cancer, and then and then um, the death. That last half a year was quite amazing, quite amazing. Well, now you know you being a doctor and a wife, and a mother, uh-huh. and uh-huh. an individual. I mean, right. you had the opportunity, or the curse, I don't know which it was, um, right. to have 
to to go through this experience from from three or four different perspectives. I mean, um, as a doctor, you you were analyzing things. As a wife, you were you were dealing with coming to terms with with what was happening. As a mother, you were helping your children and and you know trying right. to keep everything together. And then there was the you part of it. And and if I had to say that anything was really missing in the book, it was your perspective and what you were dealing with. And, you know, you, you took such great care and you were so good with everything else. But I'm wondering if the purpose of this book as well was to um, take you through the whole journey and let you experience it finally from a different perspective so that you could move on with your life in some way. Well, you know, people have said that to me and I, I haven't yet bought it. Because it just, my, so much of my, um, of who I am was those things at that time. Uh It was that I was, and and I don't really know that I thought that much about myself. In fact, it's only been since Tom's died that I have, and the girls have finally gone off to college that I've lived by myself, which I absolutely adore doing, and I've learned a lot about myself, but previously, I I didn't really delve into that much because I just kept, like, jumping from mother to wife to, to doctor, you know, and the doctor, for me, had always been kind of my safe haven because I love doing it. I'm very good at what I do, and I, I just, it just gives me such such pleasure to do that kind of stuff and so the the fourth dimension there of myself has really just come about now that I am on my own but um but the the mother wife and doctor sometimes would be in such disagreements with one another in my (laughs) head that it was just amazing you know, the mother would be saying, oh, you have to be more hopeful and come on, be positive. And the doctor is like, get real. The guy's already it spread to his head when we found it. It cannot be good, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, the wife is like, oh, my God, my husband's dying. How am I going to deal with this? That kind of yeah. thing, you know. Absolutely. I mean, um my husband died of the same thing that Tom died from. So um, I could truly relate to what you were going through. I I think that an experience like this, once you've survived it, um, enhances your life and and your sensitivity to all life to such an amazing degree that it's, it's really, it's, it's phenomenal. And um, yes, But but it's 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 interesting because you certainly have the empathy and the compassion and you are a great doctor. There's no doubt about it. But but um, but having this experience, I think, makes you an even better one, because when you say to somebody, I know what I know what this feels like and I'm there for you. Um yeah. People, people understand those kinds of words and, and if they come and they, and they aren't heartfelt and if they aren't meant and, you know, you can't understand something like this unless you truly have experienced it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so many peoples are different. I mean, I don't want to assume that everybody who's going through this is going to have this kind of an experience, but I will say that 
especially given this uh, time that, you know, that you get through a few years after the death and you start to think, wow, that was, that was a, a life experience that I would not want to have missed because it, it just, it, it does exactly what you say. It, 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 it colors every cell in your body is like changed and you look at things and, and it's funny because some of my um, colleagues think that I am a big, um, a big character laughing and joking all the time. And I said, well, yeah, after you've <laughs> been there with death with your husband, you realize that 99% of the other stuff that we worry about is so ridiculous, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and you just like, you know, when people are talking to me about how do you keep your daughter's rooms clean i was like are you kidding me (laughs) (laughs) close the door it doesn't matter you know and so yeah so yeah i do laugh a lot and i do everything seems different everything is different it is is and and i i from from what you know the the book had to have been an amazing catharsis for you well, I keep waiting for that catharsis feeling, and I think this might be it, Barbara. Being on your show <laughs> might be just the, just the thing, because I just wanted people to get the feeling that if you stop being afraid of dying and you, I know embrace it sounds baloney, but if you just like accept the fact that you're going to die, we're all going to die, how do you want to do it? What do you want to do at the end? That the dying person has a tremendous amount of power, just treme- more so than you have had in your life. Because you can ask anybody to do anything you want. Uh-huh. And you look at them and you think, they're dying and they're asking me to do this? Of course I'm going to do it. Whatever it well, is they ask, you know. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's, Even if it's, it's peach pie for dinner. You got it. You got mm-hmm. it. One time Tom said he wanted banana cream pie. Never asked for that. I never saw him eat it the whole 16 years we were married. And we went out and bought banana cream pie somewhere. And he just thought that was delicious. And the whole time I'm looking at him eating it, I just, I just couldn't get over it. It was just so funny. Well, you know, I think, too, you guys spent a long time living in California. And California is definitely... Um, an area that is very open to metaphysical stuff and spiritual stuff. And not that either of you were wacko in it at all, but you were open to the possibility of bringing it into your life. And, 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 and I think that, that he probably had to have been a lot more into it than, than possibly you even knew because from, from some of the things that he went through with meditating and going into himself and going into examining his life and, and everything that, that, that has such a metaphysical um, flavor to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is one of the delightful parts of accepting that you're going to die. You look, you see, oh, what is, you know, like 
I, I, I would come, I used to think that he was um, meditating on his immune system, which is, of course, what I would have been doing, you know, <laughs> thinking about, I'll get myself all buffed up and get in there and fight the cancer. No, he wasn't thinking of that at all. He would be thinking about things like um, one time I came home and and uh, I snuck up to him. I thought he was sleeping, but he just opened his eyes and he just looked at me. And I said, oh, I thought you were sleeping. He said, no, I was just thinking. I said, oh, well, what were you thinking about? And he said, I was thinking that oftentimes in life I took things way too personally. I said, what? <laughs> That's not at all what I thought was going on, you know. And I was like, well, okay, tell me what you're talking about. And he would explain it to me that life is for learning the lessons and just because they come at you and they're hard doesn't mean something's wrong with you or you were bad or you know it's just a lesson for you to learn and you know i would sit down and it would just amaze me here's this guy i've been living with we've been cooking we have kids together his his mind was way into the expansion mode at that point and so I frequently then got home but would come home and ask him what he was thinking about and I was always amazed because it was those kind of things you know he was really reviewing life and his life and what people should know that's that's the metaphysical part I think yeah and it 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 just it feels like you had you had the opportunities you know often you know people don't have almost a year to go through the different right. phases that you that you went through and but but it is the way you look at things it is and it isn't just you know you have to be positive it's it's you have to it, it's not saying being positive it is literally being positive exactly exactly and, it's living it and yeah. it does, you know and he went into so many he did he did drumming for a while with one of his friends oh yeah oh yeah turns out my uh my second cousin is uh a native american shaman which i didn't even know because his daytime job is landscaper and <laughs> so he came he came over here once he found out that Tom was going to stop chemotherapy and wasn't doing well and so forth. And he would come over every week and they would go in there and burn the sage and drum the drums. I don't know. It was not a part of it um, until the, until the end when Tom was too weak to drum anymore. Uh, but, um, and they did all kinds of um, guided imagery and time travel and all kinds of stuff they did. I don't even even after he died, I finally, when I was writing the book, I called up my second cousin. And I said, I want you to explain to me what you guys were doing in there. And so this is in the bedroom. Uh -huh. And so he said that, um, he said it, 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 he, it would be very difficult for him to explain because um, it's like trying to explain an experience through another language. And, um, so I just had to accept a lot of, like he said, we were, we were cleaning up some things in his past. We were, 
there are some issues I think that he had with his mother that was already dead and they worked on those and then he worked I don't even know everything I imagine yeah no it's it's that kind of work is is amazing work and it it's I think the thing that that, that impressed me so much was he wasn't actually looking for someone to heal him he was looking for help to heal himself which is on a, on a spiritual emotional level right and right. that's a that's an extraordinarily responsible way of of looking at yes. something like this well he um when he told me that he didn't want to take any more chemotherapy he he just looked at me and he said i know where i'm going and he said, I, I don't want to be sick or feel sick at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And, and I want everybody who wants to come to be able to come. And, um, you know, I, I want to be well enough to, to receive them and, and to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a tremendous amount of people um, that came and went, many of whom I didn't know because he was in AA and um, he was a big um, proponent of Alcoholics Anonymous and self-help groups and he was um, highly regarded by them and uh, many people came that I didn't know to be with him at the end. In fact, sometimes people would call me and say, um, I'm a friend of Tom's. Of course, I never heard their name before, so I knew that they were from the alcoholic programs. I'd say, I'll, I'd like to come and sit with Tom this afternoon, and you can, you know, go out and shop and do the things that you need to do. And they would come, and they would either sometimes just sit with him, or they would talk with him, or they'd ask questions of him, or somehow very, um, he was very potent there at at the end because of the work that he did on himself and in, in trying to make himself ready for whatever is coming next. Well, I would imagine he did spend some time on the other side as well. So that, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's the, the, you know, we tell people that um, they do go to another dimension. There is another dimension over there, out there, however you want to picture it. And, um, so often people, you know, are, are frightened towards the end. And when, when you're in the kind of place that he was in, I would imagine the transition was, was as peaceful as it could possibly be. I, I, would, I would think so. I would think so. I've been around, a, you know, being a physician, I've been around a lot of dead people. Or mm-hmm. dying. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's it's tricky, you know, because you have to figure out where a person is. You can't scare them with the information that you have, and but you do want them to um, prepare themselves in whatever way that they can. And um, so some people are really ready to, and I think this is why Tom loved dealing with these kind of people. He said they're just really ready to move spiritually. It's mm-hmm. just a big treat to work with people because almost all the barriers of, you know, that we throw up, like, well, I didn't mean it, or I didn't want to see it, or yin, yin, yin. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not into that at all, if they're smart. They're like, <laughs> okay, 
this is my last chance to get it. I want to get it. What is it? What, let's talk about it. Let's get it out in the open. And, um, and that's, yeah, that's if, if he had survived this, it would have made him a phenomenal facilitator. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but you know, I, I think with the book, um, you really have put him and his philosophy out there for anyone who, who is going through something like this. And, and living with, with cancer or any terminal condition changes right. the lives of everyone connected to that journey, not just the person making it, but, but to everybody. And it feels like it, his, his touch, his impact, his, the, the scope of, of the, the people that he touched with, with his wisdom and his philosophy during that year was phenomenal. And you have three kids and yep. it, it must have shifted their perception of life as we know it as well. It, well, I'm sure it did. I, I think it traumatized my youngest daughter, who was eight at the time. Mm-hmm. But my my daughter that was 13 um, has just now graduated from med school and is going into training to be a family doc like her mom. Mm-hmm. And she says that uh, she would never wish anybody to have the drop-dead kind of a situation, she said, to, because for her the ability to have all the the hugs and I love you and I'm going to miss you and you're not going to see me without my braces and all these heartbreaking um, situations were so important for her to have been able to talk to her dad about before, you know, before he died. And she would have felt incredibly robbed of, of these experiences um, whereas my younger daughter that was eight, I mean, she was into denial almost right up until the very end. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was just incredibly difficult on her. And then my oldest daughter, which is my stepdaughter, she um, was still living in California. She had um, a son and a husband and they made it possible for her to come out because she wanted to be here and stay with her dad towards the end. Mm-hmm. And she came out and stayed here. And I mean, it bonded the three of us women together in a way. It, it, it just, there's no comparison. And, and for her to have been here with her dad was like, you know, because her parents had divorced when she was about eight. And uh, it was a major, it was a major deal. Oh yeah, I can imagine. And but your youngest one is that the one that 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 rode horses and wanted a horse? Yes. yes. And yes. and she's the one that's going to school to be a psychologist with an equine. Yes, she is. She wants to be in what they call an equine co-facilitated psychotherapy. So they don't do a traditional sit down talking, but uh-huh. they actually you you're with the horses you're either in the horse barn or in the paddock or in the ring or something and you you talk about your problems and the horses kind of react and move along with you um and bring out a lot of 
what's going on in your life. You kind of assign it to either a horse or the horses that are there. And um, it's powerful. It's a powerful type of um, psychotherapy. And she's, you know, she's all about the horses. She still has her horse. In fact, I spoke to her today. She was riding her horse. And, um, and that's where she wants to go with her life. But yeah. don't you think that this whole experience opened her up to that too? Oh, yes. Now that she's not so, I mean, she was enraged for a number of years, which made mm-hmm. her almost impossible to live with. But, um, yeah, I think this whole thing, and she can talk about it now. When we get together, we all talk about it, and it's it's very interesting. And then we always have those conversations like, oh, my God, Dad would love this. You know, <laughs> those kinds of things are, are still going on after all these 13 years he's gone now. So, Well, no, I would, I would say that this book is certainly um, puts – an amazing philosophy out there for people because I, there's there there is so much going on in this world when it comes to to, um, to illnesses and disabilities and and things like that and the message that he had you know was was so was so profound and and it just feels to me as though. You know, I I know I've, I talked to you years ago and, and you, you know, you jokingly said you were going to write a book and, and uh, I, I, I've read two versions of it. I like the third version best. Um, <laughs> Which version? The the last one, the one you actually published. Oh, yeah, yeah, because the spelling's probably correct. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't find any misspells, but but it it's kind of like. It was, it, it feels for you, it was, it was um, therapy of some yeah. sort. And, and, you know, everyone who, who goes through this kind of experience, um, you know, everyone has their own journey. Everyone has their own way of looking at it. Um, and, and, and yet there is an underwriting or an overriding factor that, that if you can um, – get to the pla- the point where you're bringing in the spiritual or the metaphysical, um, right. you know, it, it enhances everything and it allows you to um, not, Im- well, I guess I, well, you, you can't help but have to embrace it because it's ultimately there, but yeah. it, it gives you a different way of looking at things. And it's, it's, so many people, you know, say it's not fair and, and I'm cursed and why am I so unlucky? And, and the reality is that, that, that it's not a matter of unlucky. It's another challenge. It's something else you have to move through, grow through, and, and be enhanced by. Absolutely. And once, if, if you take that oh, poor me attitude, you become the victim of your own life. That is the biggest travesty, I think, that someone can do to themselves. And hopefully in the book, it it show. I mean, you know, there's some hard parts in the book. I mean, there's some hard things that went on. And, you know, ultimately he died and some, but, you know, um, and he, he was 55. So that's, you know, relatively young. And right. so... Um, yeah, and he didn't get to, my daughter, my oldest daughter just got married. I walked her down the aisle. He did not, you know, he missed out mm-hmm. on a lot of things. And, um, but 
who are we to say what somebody else's life is about? And I personally believe that people um, usually, maybe not always, but in my understanding of it, that they don't leave before they've done at least some of the essential things they came here to do, whether they know it or not, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so I, you know, that, I don't know where I was going with that. But that's, <laughs> no, but it's, it's true. It, in, you know, I come from a different perspective, you know, not the scientific one, but, right. but I really do believe that, that we have contracted to do certain things, experience certain things within this right. lifetime. And, you know, it's not always, you know, some people say, well, I was meant to be with so-and-so or things like that. But sometimes the things, the, the reason, the things we're here to accomplish are as simple as, you know, smiling at someone in the grocery store and telling them they look beautiful. I mean, sometimes they are very simple things and it's not, not necessarily for us to determine what they are. It's important for us to live as, as best we can and, and hope (laughs) that we're, we're crossing all our T's and dotting all our I's. Well, I think it's, it's a faith. I think in the past people have had faith in their religions and so forth. And, and I think, um, that serves us a, a certain function, but I feel like for me, my idea is faith in in humanity and faith in in life, and that if you if you well, I, how am I going to put this? If you if you believe that people are basically good and that we're here to do some good, then then you don't have to ever take the, you have always the choice to decide whether you're going to take the, oh my God, I missed it. I should have married uh, so-and-so from high school. And instead I ran up. No, I mean, there's just a million turns in the woods where you can go left or right. And you, you go where you're going, I think for whatever the learning is, whatever the, whatever the reason is you're going down there. And I, I think, looking back at this thing with Tom, that me living with him and me allowing him to live out the end of his life as he did and for me to be um, a witness to that was kind of almost dictated for me to have to write something about it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, now, has... And- has- has this whole experience, I mean, I, I'm sure it has, but um, has this dramatically changed the way that you work with the people you work with or, or your patients? Has it, has it changed your philosophy of life and how you live your life in any way, shape, or form? I think it has in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I find it much easier as a physician to be with people who are in pain now. And I don't mean just physical pain. I mean, people who, um, you know, uh, recently uh, a husband and wife whose uh, son overdosed and died and they came in, you know, and we just, we just sat down and were together and I just mm-hmm. waited, 
let them talk. I didn't try to like run in there and make them feel good. It just like you just have to kind of share the share the their story and their feelings and and validate them. And I just find it much easier to listen to people and be there now because I know. Um, they're not going to drop dead from this. They're not going to fall over. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're in pain and, and they should be from the experience, but I also have the hope and the, and the knowledge that they're going to find their way through this, you know? And so usually when somebody has a death like that, like an unexpected death, which I find is much more difficult than the expected death in, uh-huh. in that you don't have that preparation. And um, I find ways to keep making them come back every month to check on something or another, but I'm really having them come back so we can continue the grieving, you know, talking about oh, yeah. how they're dealing with those. those Because, some, you know, if somebody dies in a shocking way, you know, you could go on for years kind of not really... Oh, just yeah. in shock, just not really dealing with it in 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 a more um, in a more appropriate way. Do know? you do you think that that perhaps that that and hopefully um, medical training is is changing is is you know kind of getting more and more into the kind of counseling that a family physician would do in in you know, in, in helping people through times like this, because I know there really isn't, I mean, there are, there are uh, grievance circles and things like that um, mm-hmm. all over the place, but it, it seems to me that, that um, it, it should be a part of, you know, if you're treating the body, then, then the spirits connected, you know, and right. not that you have to go into private practice for that particular thing, but just an awareness of, of, uh, you know, everybody knows the different stages of grieving and yada, yada, but, but that's not living it and living it and trying to get day to day to day and surviving and then starting to thrive. That, that can be a loop that people get into where they're, they are just surviving and they aren't thriving. And to break that, that cycle sometimes after five or 10 years or wherever long it is, it can be very difficult. Yes, I'm. Was this patient just popped into mind when you were saying that to me? Because this woman um, was talking to me about her sister and how her sister died of breast cancer and how she lost all this weight and her hair fell out and you know it was so painful and she was so bitter. This patient of mine talking to me about her sister and it shouldn't have been that way and it, you know it wasn't supposed to and all of that. And I said, why are you saying that? You know, and so she just looked at me and I said, what if that was her gift for you to really realize that she had to die? Because, you know, when you see somebody and they've lost 80 pounds and they look like stink, you know, you're almost saying to them, well, you better go because you can't hang around here like that. You you know, it's just not going to work. And um, this woman was so shocked by my saying that to her. And the next time she came in, she said, I just, I can't even tell you what an impact that 
had on me because she said all these years I've been harboring this feeling of being robbed and and seeing my sister's health being robbed from her. She said, but if I look at it the way you're talking about it, she said, um, I don't have all the anger. And I said, yeah, because if she was going to die, I mean, you got you got to die some way. And that was her way. Uh-huh. You know, that was her way. And you seeing her go kind of made it obvious that she was dying, you know. And so, but she that just, that just blew her mind. And um, if I could just help people to get to that point where they're not so um, emotionally or spiritually crippled by the experience, because in our culture, we have all these shoulds and shouldn'ts, and I don't know that that matches up with what the other dimensions are, are have in mind for all of us, you know? Well, there's no handbook, unfortunately, but... Um... Right. You know, it's it's kind of it's it's interesting because when I deal with you know doing past lives for people and stuff like that, and and uh, you know they some people just give you such a weird look because you know you say that they were either you know beheaded or hanged or stabbed to death or whatever, and and it's like you've had thousands of lifetimes. You had the only way to get from one lifetime to another is to pass away. Yeah. And it all can't be going to sleep at night and not waking up in the morning. No, and, so, and that, yeah, yeah, no, not at all. I mean, it's sort of like um, if, you, if you're going to go from the East Coast to the West Coast, um, th- there are thousands of different pathways you can take, but the ultimate goal is the same. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to hit notions sooner or later. But, but, and, and that's, that's what life is. And you never know. And having, reading your book made me far more cognizant of how important every day is to make sure that I don't leave something undone that I could finish. Because, because it, it, it was sort of like, I mean, you know, there are certain things that will be undone forever, I'm sure. But, but it's kind of like, you know, it's important to fill every day with richness and love and compassion and grace. And, and I, I feel that, that Tom hit at some point that place where that's all he did. That's all he filled his life with. And, and, and it was, it was a beautiful transition from, from, you know, going to all of the different therapies and all of the different things and, and everything to the, the realization that, um, he did. He did not give up, and and that's how. Um, that's one thing that that I think it's important. He didn't give up. He surrendered to a process that took him to a better place, and that's right. not quitting, and that's not losing a battle. That's that's making a transition, and there's a big difference. Oh yeah. Oh, I totally agree with that. And this, and I think he was kind of like leading the charge there for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I took him, I took him to his Alcoholic Anonymous meetings uh, until he couldn't sit in the wheelchair anymore. And we had a little system worked out where he would come in, you know, I'd put the wheelchair 
up to the car, get him in the car, throw the wheelchair in the back, run down to the church, get the wheelchair out, put him in the wheelchair. Usually somebody would come out and help me. And then, um, and then when he was tired, he had this little look where he rolled his eyes towards the door to tell me he wanted to go. And I'd just get up and say, well, he's tired. It's time to go. And, um, but when, when he would talk at these meetings, it was (laughs) as if one of the disciples was there giving some kind of information from on high. You know, people would just hang on his every word. And he, you know, he had quite a mind and he had quite a good insight. And he would, when people would, they would like have this time where they read a passage from the big book. And then he would, um, everybody would say something about it. Not everybody, but people who wanted to say, well, I, this made me think of this or that. But when he had something to say, he often would start like, well, we alcoholics, we like to think da 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 da, you know, mm-hmm. the way that that disease takes people to these certain points. And he would bring those up and he would say, but that's why we became alcoholics because that wasn't the healthy way to do it. This is, and it, these are my uh, words of what he said, but mm-hmm. um, people would just look at him. I would look, because I was a, a kind of a visitor, I just got to look around and watch this whole amazing process go on. And um, people loved to hear what he had to say. And he always brought it back to the spiritual, always brought it back to the alcoholism, and brought it back to the work that they had to do. People just loved it. They just loved it. But But there was obviously respect there, because he was doing... I mean, he was going beyond the work that he had done initially, and and he was hitting right. on on another level of consciousness and bringing other wisdoms in and sharing them with them. And it was it was you know I mean I'm I'm pretty sure he couldn't walk on water, but you know probably just about. <laughs> he could not walk on water. He couldn't even stand up in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know it, it, it but but. The mind was still there, and that that's yeah. amazing. I mean, when, when you still have the mind and the consciousness and the ability to to stretch yourself into that space and, and you know, pull stuff through and share it with other people, I'm sure that there, there was amazing wisdom there that people got and, and have been able to apply to their lives and utilize. And so his words, his thoughts, his, his generosity of spirit certainly touched you know, hundreds, probably thousands, maybe even more lives. And I think your book does bring that out. I think it, it does oh, okay. put people into the place where they they look at themselves and, you know, he didn't suddenly go running to a faith healer or suddenly no. get involved in, in some sort of weird, weird la-la stuff. Yeah. No, and he knew where to go and it was inside and mm-hmm. – that's where all the good stuff is. And, and so, you know, he may not have been practicing it up to that point, but, but he sure as hell knew where to look. So, so that there, there probably had been times in his life that, that he had touched upon it and said, well, I'll get to that later on sometime. Oh, I bet. I bet that that sounds just like 
accounts what, just like them. Yeah. But, but and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, you, you sit and you look at something like this and, and, you know, I met you right as he died or I, I, I think I met you probably the year that he passed, to be honest with you, because be. I think it was, it was about 12 years ago. Um, right. And and I never would have known that your husband had passed away. I, you know, you just, you have always been, you know, you, you have a great strength and, and, you know, that obviously was there. And certainly when uh, my husband got ill, you were, you were wonderful. You know, you, you said, you know, I'll be there with you every step of the way. And you actually were. And, and it was, um, it was, it was comforting. It really was. And, but everybody faces this threshold differently. Yes, I would. They, yes, they do. Some some run from it, and and those poor people. I, I feel sorry for them because, like, uh, one of the quotes in the book, you know, how every chapter has a quote from um, patient, mostly patients, some some friends uh, that have said something about. Um, death and this one patient of mine said that when you sit at the foot of a dying man's bed you realize that there's nowhere else in the world you would rather be Uh and that um pretty powerful stuff because i think a lot of people would probably run from that but if they could calm down and be there they would it, it just would be a trans transformation for them it is and and it, it you know it's um i had one woman who um whose husband was in a nursing home and he was um comatose and oh. she she said to me i don't know what to do and and you know she said can you tune in to him and ask him what i'm supposed to do <laughs> mm. uh-huh. that's a good sound and I did, and and she said, what does he say? And I said, he wants you to do for him exactly what you would want him to do for you. And, you know, it, it was putting her it back in her lap, but, but right. you know, she said, okay, then I know exactly what to do. Um, Good for her. Well, it, well, well, it's funny because she, she was the um, older and she thought that, you know, she would go first. And so she had given him, you know, directions on what to do when oh. she, <laughs> and because he was like 10 years younger, she was sure that, you know, she was going to outlive him. And then he's <laughs> the one that got sick and passed away. So. What a surprise to her. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Um, We're coming close to the top of the hour and at some point, music is going to start to play and that is our signal that we have three to five minutes to get to get some water or go to the bathroom or stretch whatever is appropriate so so when that music does start you know mute your phone and talk to the dogs or whatever and then come back and and unmute or whatever because because your phone is your phone will be live for that entire time so okay well with my luck in electronics i think i'll just put the phone down and go in another room because i might turn you off accidentally (laughs) no no don't do that 
don't do no, that. No, I don't want but, to do that. But I mean, it's so have just out of curiosity, have you have you felt Tom around you at all since the book has been finished? Um there have been some times. Yeah, there's been some times where I've felt he was around and um here's an interesting story about that in with my youngest Justine cuz my husband had told her, you know, that if he if she wants to be with him or talk with him that she should just lie quietly and you know and so she's she's thinking she's he's talking metaphysically and she's talking very physically. <laughs> so she was so pissed off that she came to me one day and she said Dad said he could talk to me and that he could communicate with me and he can't and she's going on and she's all mad and everything and off she goes to school. So on the way, and because of the Native American thing, uh, Tom loved all these feathers and dream catchers and all the drumming and stuff we did, Native American drumming. And so... um, she comes home from school. We live in the country, so she comes home from school. She comes down the driveway, and I think she finds three turkey feathers placed in the driveway, different places coming down the driveway. And she comes in the door holding the turkey feathers with that, oh, my God, look on her face. <laughs> you know, and I said, well, who knows where he is? You know, it's not like he could just use the telephone. You know, maybe yeah. this is what he can do to let you know. And so that that changed her mind. That changed yep. her mind. The subtleties, and, uh, the subtleties are there. It's, it's oh just yeah, a, you have to. It, yeah, it's and it's very challenging for those of us who either don't want to believe that or have a very scientific mind like mine uh-huh. to pick up all the little the little things. And I think I had a tremendous help in writing the book from the other side because. I wrestled and wrestled with this book for 12 years. And like I said, I really literally am the world's worst speller. And I could not even type when I started this thing. And um, and uh, sometimes I would throw that book in the corner of my living room and I'd say, that is, I am not doing it. It is too high. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Go do something else, and then a few days later, I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd have an idea. Okay. Okay, we got three to five minutes, and we'll be right back. This is Nightlight, and if you like what you've been hearing... Click over to the support page and make a donation to help us keep this amazing station up and running. Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com is totally listener-supported. From the owner to the host to the producers, who we can't live without, to the staffs, all are working here because we love the work and are dedicated to putting out quality material for all of you. Be it large or small, every donation is greatly appreciated and helps us all keep on supplying information and material to educate, enlighten, and inform. And this isn't found anyplace else except right here. So we'd appreciate your support and your help and your attention. Marianne, we're back. I'm back. I'm back. 
Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't go anywhere. Mm-mm. No. I, you know, we've been talking about um, a lot of things that happened um, with Tom and, and with your family. And the, the thing that, that, that for me is the most important thing is that everything was, was, you know, was kept very positive. I mean, yes, there were moments of tears and there were, I mean, of course there were, but, but life is, you know, life is a celebration and, and, you know, as long as you're up and breathing and, you know, lots of people say, you know, well, the best thing this morning is that I was able to get up out of bed, but, there's so much more to life and being around someone who has made transition, I think um, personally gives you a greater appreciation for life and, and the positive things that are in life. And sometimes we just don't acknowledge all of the wonderful positive things that are there because we're going through a tough time. And Tom seemed to be able to keep a very good perspective on all of that. Absolutely. He just, I mean, even one time he was talking to my stepdaughter, his daughter from previous marriage, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, I've got this cancer thing. I got to, you know, figure out how to beat this. And then, you know, he's talking about it like it's a cold. And I, (laughs) where does he get that attitude? I think he just, I think. Somewhere along the line, he told me he just didn't want to be spending his interaction with this family and people that he loved with this kind of terror or fear kind of attitude, you know? And um, it's very, yeah, very much tried to stay positive, even though I had to call my stepdaughter up and say, listen, your dad's thinking this is a cold. This is not a cold. There's a good chance that he's not going to be able to beat this, which she had absolutely no idea about. Um, but so it's got to kind of be that blend of of positive and reality. I, I keep coming back, though, to the idea of it's got to be your attitude about everything. Because, you know, so much, I really think a lot of what we think is or isn't or should or shouldn't be is so culturally driven. And mm-hmm. if you and if you if you stay on that what I will call a more superficial plane about life, you know, get your house and your dog and your kids, you know, it's that's one only one uh, dimension of a multi-dimensional life. Mm-hmm. And 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 like I say, I'm who am I to say what somebody else's life is supposed to be? But I do know, like you said earlier, when you go through one of these experiences, um, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And you should be positive and should, yes, should get through this. Life is full of many, many beautiful, every day so many things and if you're grumping around because you didn't get a raise or you didn't your car had a flat or you know whatever it is you're wasting time i think 
Yeah, and and I I would totally agree with that. I there there's a statement out there that that you create your reality by your perception of it, and okay, I you know I don't know nobody knows how they would how they how they would react if given a terminal diagnosis of any sort, but but and, and you we'll never know unless and, and until it happens, so that. So that, you know, everybody would like to say, well, I would do this, 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 and this, and this is how I would react. But, but the reality is you don't know until it actually happens to you. But if moving up to that particular point in time, you have, you have created a reality where everything is of a positive nature, where there is a joy of every, of every moment. And, and yeah, all right, not every moment, but most, um, you, you then have created an environment for which there will be a more positive reaction to whatever comes your way. So, so he was, he was not, I mean, he had his, he had his warts and stuff like everybody else did, but, but on a whole, he had a really good handle on, on, on how to how to face life and how to live life and how to deal with the difficulties that come into life and and did he stumble here and there sure but there isn't a person out here that that I mean I have knees with scars on them <laughs> so those are your little gifts in, in disguise you know because we're not looking at the we're not looking at it that way mm-hmm. I mean not no. that I'm walking around all the time saying well give me all the shit in the world and I'll make you know candy out of it no but you know if you can look at it like okay well what am I supposed to learn out of this or what is what is this what is the bigger picture what is this all about or you know how can you minimize things that seem so dastardly yeah that's I think a smart healthy way to go Oh, absolutely. And and one of your chapters was called It Takes a Village. And and it does. It absolutely does. And so many people going through a situation like this where where a child or a parent or or a spouse is is in transition, is is, you know, passing over. Um and they, they seem to, they have a tendency to lock themselves away and, and close themselves off from everybody else. But, but there is a whole world out there that, that can and will be supportive of them if they give it a chance. It's, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how um, connected we, you know, in, 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 as, as a family physician, I know everything's connected. Mm-hmm. In the body, in the mind, in the family, somebody, one person gets sick, everybody's, like, especially if there's a cancer thing, it's on everybody's mind. It, it kind of is pervasive, you know, it's just, you're trying to think about it all the time, and, and, and it creeps in at the silliest times, and um, and when you live in a small town like this well it's not that small anymore it's about 20,000 people but when I grew up here it's only about 1,500 but anyway my point is that um, people um, 
want to do things to help you if you're in some kind of a, a jam. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and it's very difficult for me and probably many other people to uh, accept help and more difficult to ask for help. But I think that's part of the process of being connected is you have to let go of some of those, um, you know, we really value our independence, you know, the way we live. And uh, maybe, maybe that's not all good anyway. Well, it's, 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 it does become a fascinating thing and not everybody is going to, I mean, I I have to, you know, be honest when, when Patrick came down, uh, when he was diagnosed, um, there were people that I knew that I thought, you know, would be very supportive that, that, you know, literally uh, didn't call at all. But, but then there were people that I, it never occurred to me that they would be supportive that we're here. Can we cook for you? Can we help you out? Can we, um, I mean, people who, who just suddenly turned up at the door to just sit back and, and sit and talk with Patrick. I mean, there, there were people that, that just drifted in and it was an amazing experience. And, and some of the people that I thought, you know, for sure would be there with a casserole every night, you know, I, I didn't see until after he passed away. So, yes. You know, and and that's human nature. Some people deal with things one way and some people deal with them another way. And, you know, you just have to say, well, that, you you know, who not to call on in case of an emergency for sure. But, but it is, it it is strange because sometimes people will, um, I I had some people that, that called and said, would you like me to drop by? And, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't, the kind of they, they weren't the people that I thought wouldn't and you know I always said sure come on by and and it was it was amazing to see the kind of support that you get if you're open to it that's yeah there's the there's the there's the catch right there you have to you can't say oh no I don't need anything or um no this you never say no in those situations you know uh some people brought things and said now, here's a meal, but it can be frozen. <laughs> it can be cooked tonight. It can be cooked next week. You can give it away if you don't like this. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, some people were so incredibly thoughtful. Um, I had that one couple that made a crockpot meal. Uh, every Friday, they brought a crockpot. This was for like 12 weeks, mind you. Mm-hmm. Brought a crockpot meal that could be... I could have put the crock pot in the refridge or I could have plugged it in any old time. And every Monday I'd say, Oh, thank you. I think I'm all right now. But every Thursday I'd be praying for that crock pot to show back up because my, my cooking skills were in the basement. I had no clue how to put things together, especially since Tom was the cook all these years we were married. I didn't even shop. I mean, he did all the shopping and the cooking. Wow. So, but, yeah, and other people did other things, too. Like, um, there's one of the things about my cousin Bob in there, who is a plumber, and he lives up in Massachusetts. And he calls me up and he says, um, I'm coming down on, I'm coming down on um, Saturday morning. I'll be there about 9 or 10, 
and he said, and I want, uh, I'm going to work, and then you're going to feed me lunch, and then I'm going to work some more, and then I'm going to go home for dinner. And I said, what are you going to work on? What are you, what are you talking about? And he says, you know, things that need to be done. And I said, I, I don't really need anything, Bob. I can't even think of anything. He said, well, make a list. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you'll figure it out. I'll see you when I see you Friday, Saturday. Well, by the time the guy came, I had a list that probably could have taken him two days because there were so many things that I just, if something broke, I just left that aside and picked up something else and went to that, you know? Uh-huh. And like he came and he helped clean the gutters. At that time, we had a motorhome. He he like winterized the motor. I mean, I didn't do those things uh, before, so they didn't even come up on my radar screen, you know. Uh-huh. So when he came along, that was wonderful. So I think making a list is a great idea. Or even better yet, say I'm I'm going to come over there and I'm going to I'm going to. Um, do some cleaning or some laundry or I'm going to do something. I'm going to help somehow. And then you, you can figure it out when you get there, you know? Oh yeah. And sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. Really? Yes. Exactly. (laughs) It's not, it's it's not as hard as it could be, you know? mm -hmm. Because mostly, if you're the person that's coming, all you have to do is listen and shake your head and say, yeah, or, oh, gosh, or tell me about that. Yeah. yeah. No, it was um, definitely uh, an amazing time for you. And and it, your girls seem to have done, you know, while, while your youngest definitely had trouble letting go, um, oh, yeah. she, she sounded as you portrayed her as though she was in many ways older than her years. Right. Yeah. I think she's an old soul. Yeah. And, um, but she was amazing. And, you know, you kind of, you, 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 you see and hear a story like this and all like, all you can think of is, geez, I, I would really hope that, that if I was in that situation, that I would have, the balance and and the 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 strength to be able to go through it with the same amount of 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 togetherness. I mean, you know, I, I'm really good in an emergency, but you know, I lose it shortly thereafter. <laughs> but, hey, we but, had this conversation, I think, once upon a time. Yes, we did. Like, you and I are the ones to count on in the emergency. We're cool, calm-headed. We know what to do, but then fall apart later on down the line. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are, but but it's it's sort of like, and and it, it's it's going to sound strange, but no matter what the circumstances and and appropriately, please. But but if you can bring laughter into any situation, there is a healing process that takes place and. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing because no matter how bad it is, if you can just get whoever it is to chuckle just a little or to smile just a little, you know, that, that there, there are, and if you want to go scientifically, there are endorphins that are released that, that, that raises the spirit. So, so it's, it's, and, and I don't mean stand up comedy, but, but I mean, my mother, um, in, in her last years, we hit the emergency room 
oh gosh, maybe three times a month at least. I, I swear, um, you know, it, it was, I would point at her and say heart condition, no matter what her problem was, because if you have a heart condition, they take you right in. And yeah. um, I swear they were going to dedicate a, a cubicle to her, you know, and, and it got to the point where um, no matter what was wrong with her, the doctors would come in and say, how are you, Dorothy? And she'd say, I'm fine. And it would be like, you can't breathe. You're having a heart attack. What the hell are you saying I'm fine for? And, <laughs> and you know, it's kind of like, you must be joking. But I finally, she had, I mean, and there's some things you can do. If you have a senior citizen that you're caring for or living with, um, I had a, a, a knapsack that was always by the door. And it had a deck of cards. It had some books. It had a toothbrush. It had toothpaste. It had um you know, just, just those things that you will need if you're going to have to be in the hospital overnight or whatever. And um, it, and not only that, but the other thing that I, I always had in there was um, 10 copies of her medications. So instead of, because oh, if you're in the emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we had the emergency pack and, and, you know, the ambulance guys knew to grab it after the last couple of, you know, trips that we made. <laughs> it was... It was like, here we go. And I, I will never forget one time we were, it was three o'clock in the morning and the police had been there and the, you know, the ambulance was there. She couldn't breathe. She, her lungs were filling up with water and, and I was read, riding in the ambulance and, and we're going through the town and it's quiet as, you know, lights flashing and everything. And I said, how much is this little ride costing my mother? And, you know, they, you know, they, no, no, I said, how come no, no siren? And they said, well, there's no traffic. And then I said, how much is this little ride costing my mother? And they told her, and from the back of the ambulance, <laughs> she croaking for that kind of money, I want the siren too. What <laughs> <laughs> the full treatment. <laughs> yeah, they turned oh, it my. on. But, but you know, it was it was sort of like, there was no moaning and groaning and crying and everything. It was, it was, if, if you can, in a situation like that, have a light heart. And, and, you know, I'm, and again, I'm not saying that that you throw laughter in, you know, when, but but you can almost, yeah, you can almost throw it in everywhere. And it, that the, the aspect of laughter and lightheartedness does, does help you through so many situations. It's, oh, I'm it's that humor is the best medicine. And, and with that is, yeah, you, you got to have a sense of humor and your sense of humor and Tom's sense of humor is so very, very profoundly there in your book. Thank God. I mean, <laughs> when you, you, when you said that, it reminded me of this time we're all trying to get out of the house. We're late, of course, because, you know, each girl separately had to run back up to their bedrooms and get something or their perfume or lipstick or I don't know what it was and um, we're all running out and and we're going down this hallway into the to the garage and I and at this point my husband is totally bald because you know the and he had a very full head of hair and the mm-hmm. uh, therapy made all the hair fall out so he we're we're all scurrying down the hallway and he goes wait and we all freeze. And then he does this little thing with his pinky over his, he like sweeps it over his bald head and he goes, 
how's my hair? (laughs) (laughs) And we're just all hysterical. I mean, it just changed everything from tents running. And a lot of that was he had determined to do that. Uh He said, I don't want to have my children uh, see me uh, dying with seizures and throwing up or some other kind of thing. I don't want them to remember me uh, uh-huh. yelling. Uh, I That's not how I want my kids to rem- remember me. And uh-huh. so he had a lot of conscious, um, you know, focus on keeping, keeping it up, keeping it light in ways that he could. Well, he also had come to peace with a lot of things inside of him, too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, there, there were no issues or anything, and and I think one of the one of the neat things I, I forget which version of your book, but uh, but um, you talked about your your living room and how there's a huge fireplace with a stone with stones that goes all the way up cathedral ceiling ish, and right. and he meditated on the stones and right. and you spoke about how you tried it and and. You kind of got lost in the cement someplace. <laughs> you could look, you, you know, you could have one idea and then you would look through, like if you were like looking like a typewriter or just, you know, focusing on a few levels at a time as it went up. Every time you went up, a, you know, a few feet, you, your mind would go off into some other direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I said you could, you could, uh, by the time you got to that fireplace, you could be in another on another planet. Just all the thoughts that you go through. And he probably was. And you know, don't it? It just it, his process sounded so fascinating. You kind of wanted to be able to tune into it, and I think you did such a beautiful job of representing your perception of what was going on. And and you know, when you were giving your perception, I was standing back saying. Well, that that could be, but it could be this too. And you know, and and it, it you, you the book allows the the reader, even though you've interpreted, it allows the reader to put their own perception and understanding into into what's going on. And it, it's a it's a wonderful blueprint um, for anyone. And and you know, sooner or later, we all come to that time in our lives where where we kind of are, are saying, well, my time may be up shortly or whatever. And you kind of, you look at that and you say, you know, how do I want to approach this? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and no matter how you want to approach and manipulate it, you know, obviously the universe has its own idea. So whatever plans you make are not going to be the way it actually happens. Um right. But, but I think it's an important part of life to face the fact that that at some point in time you will make transition to another plane where you get to start playing all over again. <laughs> and, and, and in whatever way and whatever time frame and whatever all that means, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, yeah. he absolutely, I'm sure, did not think he was going into nothingness. He knew he was going somewhere. Yeah, I, I think he'd been there for coming go, coming and going for a bit, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, the, would... one time I came home and um, 
my housekeeper, which I, you know, definitely needed then, if not before then, was would come on Tuesdays and help clean the house. And um, she knew Tom. She was from the meetings. And um, she one day I came home and she was like all frenetic, all running around, just polishing and talking a mile a minute. And I said, what's going on with you? She said, she said, the spirit's in there. I said, what are you talking about? She said, I don't know what went on in that bedroom today with him and Rick, but there was a lot of spirit. She said, Marianne, there's always some spirits here when they're together. She said, but this was a red letter day, full of spirits, all happy. She says, they're all excited about him coming. I said, are you kidding me? And she <laughs> said, no. And I said, why didn't you tell me about this? She said, well, you know, it didn't seem that important, but today there's a lot of them here. And she <laughs> said, and they hung around for a long time after Rick left. And she's pointing to the great room. So I walk into the great room because I want to get this feeling yeah. too, right? I want to get this understanding. And I go in there and I get absolutely zero. <laughs> and I thought I was pretty tuned in, you know, so uh-huh. <laughs> trying to pick up on this. There's absolutely nothing happening. I'm trying to get more information out of uh, Gail, my housekeeper. And now she's polishing that every horizontal surface in the place is like absolutely <laughs> like perfectly clean and shiny from her uh, cleaning and frenzy. And we never could figure out what went on and when I asked Tom he fell asleep (laughs) I didn't know what whatever went on but I'm sure something went on because um you know there's a lot of a lot of powerful energy around here at that point in time yeah that's got to be frustrating Um, yeah well you know you want you think I don't know I thought you know because I was putting all of my hard effort into it. I should have gotten something out on that end too, but I didn't. I mean, I, I never, I never got that feeling. I got a lot of feelings about the book though. The book, I got a lot of like, I got to the point where I would lay down at night and say, I have no idea how to write this, uh, what, how to put this particular story into the book or how to write about it. And darned if I wouldn't get up and I'd have an idea and I'd have to, I slept with a pad of paper and a pencil next to my bed. And mm-hmm. I would get up and I would write those things down immediately before I'd lose them, you know. And yeah. uh, some of them some of them definitely I used in the book. Some of them didn't really play out the way I, I thought they would. But um, I just felt like I just got a lot of a lot of spiritual help when it was when I was stuck. Oh yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's funny. I, I've often, you know, been inspired in the middle of the night, and and I, uh, for the longest time, I had a, a pad of paper and a pencil, on the nightstand, and and I would, you know, come out of a dead sleep, and I would write something down, and I would be so proud of myself that that I could, you know, rest, and you know, it, it'll be there in the morning, and I'll be able to pick it up, and I'll run with it, and. Yeah. There is not one time that I did that that I could read my handwriting. <laughs> it was so frustrating. It was like, what was That's I great. thinking? That is great. That it's is just great. you know. So so now, um, if 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 it's that good, I will get up and I will come to the computer and I will type it out. 
Oh, well, you could have just flipped the light on and seen what you put your glasses on, seen what you were writing. You know, well, yeah, that's a phrase or something down. That that would have been a thought. I, I and actually, I I got uh, the first four lines of a poem at one point, and you know, when I I said, you know, I'll just I'll just finish it tomorrow night, or you know, more will come. Nothing ever came, but I have four lines of a poem, <laughs> and I know there's more, but. Having the faintest idea. Right there. Yeah. Well, it's 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 an unfinished symphony at the moment. So, so, <laughs> so, so you've you've now got a book under your belt. Yes. So what's next? I mean, you can't stop now because you you did such a great job. Oh man, I know it was so painful, and I said I would never <laughs> do anything like that again. It was as hard, if not harder than getting into medical school, which was very difficult for me. And now I find myself getting all these ideas again. And a lot of it starts with my patients. Uh-huh. And, you know, um, I was with this woman the other day and she had read my book and she said, you know, you have to write a book on grieving now, right? And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Who are you? What you? You're not even one of my really tight patients. I see you maybe once a year. What are you telling me? I have to write a book. She said, "Oh, Doctor Betty." She said, "I, when my mom died, she said I was so unprepared for grief. She said it took me five years to get my head above water." She mm-hmm. said, "You have to write a book about grief because." Nobody knows about that either until it hits them. And she said, just to have people know what, you know, what some people go through or what could be expected and that it's okay to have, you know, such a difficult time. And I was like, oh, my God. So now I've got a little stack of papers, which is (laughs) about 10 papers deep because more now all of a sudden everybody seems to be talking to me about grieving you know and uh and then some of the patients that are have been quoted in my book they're asking me if I'm going to write another book and I said something about well you know I'm going to have to write about grieving and they're like oh yeah let's talk about that (laughs) (laughs) well you you know it's 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 funny because it, it's everybody has their own time frame and their own. And, and I, I remember talking to one woman and she said, everybody says that I should now be ready to move on with my life and, and I'm not ready yet. And, you know, she said, the books all say it should only take this long and I'm just not ready. And I said, well, you know, I think you should give them the same answer that, that Michelangelo gave the Pope when the Pope came in, kept looking up at the Sistine Chapel and saying, when will it be done? And Michelangelo just looked down from his ladder and said, it'll be done when it's done. And right. But sometimes we do get caught in those loops. Sometimes, you know, the, the um, what what has appeared to be a groove becomes a rut and we can't get out of it. And right. You know, there. By the way. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, groove is one thing, and a rut is, you know, being stuck there. It's a lot deeper. Yeah. And and you know, when when somebody 
sometimes you know lots of times people know that they're stuck in 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 a spot in grief and you know they want to break out but they don't know how now i mean aside from good drugs um you know which which we're not going to advocate um right how do you how do you tell a person or what 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 can a person do when they know that they are just caught in this loop and they don't know how to break out of it? Wow. Are you asking me that question right now like you would like an answer to that? Yeah. Huh. There have to be a ton of different ways to do it. Oh, I think there are. And I think each person is going to have to find their own, you know, like that Peter Pan happy thought thing, you know, you keep your happy thought and it keeps you above water and keeps you flying because, you know, there's no sense in staying down under the covers all day. No, and, you know, sooner or later you have to wash the sheets. Yeah, and I think actually those things are what I call side trips. Mm -hmm. Like if you're on, if, if you assume that your life is going from here to there, like you said, like from here to California. Well, if you decide you're going to Florida, okay, but that's really not your your goal. You're taking a side trip, and when you come back from your side trip and you're still going to be in Pennsylvania, you still have to go to California. Uh -huh. So I call those side trips, and you have to do those side trips for as long as you, um, you know, hopefully they're short. If they're not, then they're not. And if you can make it shorter, good for you. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, so it's, it's, on your side trip, maybe that's what your whole life is about, the side trip this time. I that don't could know. Be. I like to think it's going to California. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, and, and then there are people that, that just, you know, they lose um, – I I had a friend once who lost his um, eight-year-old son, and um, 20 years later, he still was in that place where he couldn't move on with his life, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure he wanted to, and, you know, there are people that, I guess, just can't bear to go on without the person that they're missing. I mean, there are those people. Yes. Yes. However, um, I, I think two things about that. One, sometimes um, when when pain is the only feeling that you have left, you don't want to give that up uh -huh. because at least you know you're alive and you're and you're real because you're hurting. But then some people like to be hurting like wear a badge, you know, like proving how much everything meant to them. And then that's, that's counterproductive, I think. Yeah. Well, I tell those people the martyr club is closed and not taking applications. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You just can't. And you know what? I think you and I can say things like that to people because of our history of dead husbands. And I think it, it gives you a lot of leverage really. Um, I mean, there are times when I've said things to people and they look at me and they say, you know, so I know you're telling me the truth. Uh -huh. And because they know my history of the dead husband, you know, so um, 
that that can give you some significant leverage. Not that I can say, oh, I know because my husband died, so I know what it's like for you with your husband dying. But no, I've had faced what I faced, and so you're facing what you're facing. But a lot of the there's a lot of similarities or analogies that can be drawn between one experience of another, which is basically why I wanted to write the book so that people could think a little bit about, oh, um, so you don't have to take chemotherapy to the last week of your life, you know, uh-huh. you could throw it off and party it up and, and, uh, have a good time. Um, I think there's, just a lot of a lot of ways a lot of ways to do it i guess oh geez yeah well patrick wouldn't do the chemotherapy or the radiation and um because he he wanted to do homeopathic and holistic and i think had he done it had his cancer been a stage one or two he he might have had good success with it because he he was a fanatic but but he was stage four and and but it he did have quality of life right to the end and at one point, um, when when um, when he had uh, we had done some tests and they had said no, it's not cancer, and and we came home and he was building a deck here and, um, you know, he was hard at work and you know everything was positive and wonderful. And the next day uh, he was out there working again and we got a call from the oncologist and no, it was stage four lung cancer and so he sent the kid who was working with him home and we sat here and we talked about it and you know he said I don't know what to do and I I said well whatever you decide I'm behind you 100% and you know we'll do whatever it is you feel you need to do and and so he said okay and we talked a little bit more and he said well what do we what should I do right now and I said you should finish the deck Absolutely. Yeah. Because absolutely. You, you you got a couple months easy here. So yeah. so um so he finished the deck. But but you know it's <laughs> but it it's everybody is, is different in how you apply yourself, but but a book in grieving is is really it's it, it would be a, an important thing for a lot of people. I mean certainly there are the different stages of grief. And, and, you know, that everybody knows about and, and stuff like that. But but there are there have to be procedures that you can work on in your life to to help get you, you know, beyond those stages and into a, a, a functional life once more. Because, you know, we're all here for a purpose and a reason. And, and, and most of them, you know, it, it's it's not to quit living and sit and wait because. No, no. Or to give up. Yeah. The, 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 um, I wanted to say something about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh-huh. who I had held in very high esteem until I went through this process myself. And then I realized um, that those stages of, of um, whatever, death and death, I think it's of death, uh, a lot of it is, um, it's not right. It's, there's a myth that you go through these stages. Well, you could go through the stages, all of them, in the span of about three seconds. Yep. You can 
find it's unbelievable and then, you know, come to grips with it and then, or then be angry and then maybe come to grips with it or come to some resolution, you know. And so I thought, here I am, a physician, I'm going through this and I'm thinking there's some steps here that I can read a book and I can get through this stuff. Well, no, <laughs> no, there is nothing. And those stages are, it's completely different. It's completely different when you're trying to live it and go through it. And if you can take, you know, you have hundreds of people that you've talked to about death and you can glom up all this stage and add all the other ones into this other stage, fine. But that is not the way it goes through. A person um, goes through it, and um, it's not well, like then, you, you complete one stage and then you're allowed to go on to the other. No, <laughs> none of that. It's none not that. a great oh. school, no. But but don't you think then perhaps it's time for a new paradigm or a new philosophy on on the art of grieving? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and and you know it's it's. My way of grieving for Patrick was to go right back to work. And somebody said to me, oh, three, three or four days after, you know, they realized I was back counseling people who had lost their spouses. And, and you know, Patrick was, was you know, sit, you know, he, he wasn't, he, the ashes were still warm. And, yeah. you know, and, they, and she said, you shouldn't have to be doing this. And I said, look, this is how I heal. And, and, you know, I, I'm not going to sit and go through, you know, a case of Kleenex because that makes me a hypocrite because I believe he's gone on to a, a wonderful place that, that he was waiting to go to and that they're, you know, the Chinese have it right. When, when a baby is born, they, um, they wear black and they grieve and they mourn because of the difficult life that child, that, that soul is going to endure. And when someone dies, they wear white and celebrate because they have, you know, survived life and are going on now to a to a different realm and a better place. Wow, that's great! I didn't know that. And 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 so it's 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 kind of like, um, and and for for months this woman would call me and she'd talk to me and say, "Ah, oh, you're still in denial," and I said, "No, trust me. I know parrot, but you know, I know Patrick is not here anymore, but." But just because he's not here doesn't mean he's gone. Right. And, you know, his energy is here. His thoughts are here. His, you know, his presence is still here. So why should I be unhappy? You know, he's not doing some of the chores he used to do. So, you know, that that was annoying. But but it it's, you know, um, everybody's philosophy is different, but everybody has grief and everybody does go through this process and and I, I think maybe a book that gives people permission to have their own process would be a good idea well I'm thinking along those lines myself and I have some uh, I'm, I, I haven't gotten to the point of developing chapters yet but I, I have some when I hear wonderful statements that people say to me and it makes me kind of think of a whole fan of ideas, I write those down on those little pieces of paper and then I stack them all up and then at some point and I won't do anything in the summer when I'm out in the garden because that's where I am all, all the time. Uh -huh. I'll get, I'll get um, in the winter, I'll sit down and I'll start to put some of those things into, into little stories, little collections and 
you know, that's how I write. I'm not, uh, I'm not a, I'm not, um, I'm not proficient at that. I'm not really that great at it, but I'm a great storyteller. So if I can tell stories that can flow together into a book, then I think I'll have a home run for that one. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, so many people who who have a book in them, you know, think that they have to sit, read a book on how to write a book or take a class on how to write a book. And you didn't do that. And it's it's your voice. And I think that's what makes it, you know, so um, enjoyable to read because it is your voice talking. It's not it's not you um, trying to shove your story into somebody else's outline or theory or or, you know, um, you know, this is how you write a book. This is how you write a paragraph. You didn't do that. You wrote it as though you were talking. And because your voice is there, it it pulls people into the story so beautifully that that it is um, literally a pleasure to read. And it's not it's not a depressing book. It's it's no. it's it's really an amazing book. And um, you you have one place there where. Uh, one of your daughters, I don't know if it was the youngest or the oldest, decided that she was so angry at cancer, she she wanted to use the F-bomb. And, you know. <laughs> she was the youngest, yeah. And, and you know, it, you you seriously thought about it and decided it was a good time to bomb the place. And, and <laughs> you helped her. And, it was. And, 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 you know, it was, you know, moments like that where, where you know, just, just, this humanness of the whole situation and and i can see you with this little little kid you know throwing f-bombs all over the place all about cancer yeah yeah so she said i want to use the f-word and i said on what and she says cancer and i said oh well (laughs) i'll think about that then otherwise it was we had a strict policy no no swear words in the house Uh but uh, that subsequently has (laughs) dissipated (laughs) well as people get older they don't need those kind of rules anymore (laughs) no you can't enforce them anyway when they're older no uh, not even very appropriate at that point and and especially for her to let her anger out and uh and, and there was another place that I just, I fell in love with the girls. I, I mean, they were charming anyhow and, and delightfully portrayed. But, but I, and, and it, it was towards the end and um, you didn't know where they were and they had gone, um, tell that story where they went above the garage. Yeah, we had, we had, a, well, we thought that was going to be my husband's office when he was going to do um you know, a small practice here out of the house, but it turned out to be where we really, we had a, a, a kind of a TV. We had it, we didn't never have cable or anything, but we used to buy those, those discs and stuff that go in there. And mm-hmm. anyway, well, I can't find the girls and I, and I, I walked, I said, well, they must be up there watching the movie or something. And they go up and they are jumping around the furniture and they're doing handsprings and twit, you know, uh, forward somersaults from one pile of pillows to another and all of this and I'm just like oh so here you girls are and they're like yeah we just had to we just had to work it out mom we were just 
you're all wrapped up in dad and he's dying and we just couldn't stand it anymore. So we just decided we had to we had to jump around and have fun. I said <laughs> so then they each showing me what they're doing and it didn't look like anybody was gonna break anything doing what they were doing. So I said, Okay, carry on. And <laughs> they wanted me to join in but it got, you know, <laughs> so far from that type of activity at that point. I, I uh-huh. couldn't join in but yeah, I said just don't hurt yourself. That's all. See you later. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, who knows how kids have to do their part of the end of the deal. Right. And and they, um, they, 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 it, it was, it was phenomenal. And, you know, we're getting, we're getting close to the end here. So, yes. um, I just, you know, so appreciate your being here and sharing the story. Because oh, um, I, I'm so lucky to have the opportunity, and especially to talk to you, Barbara. It's just delightful. It's just like we're just uh, sitting down over a cup of tea or a glass of wine or something. It's just delightful. Well, I, I think that um, you're fun to talk to. <laughs> I mean, how often do you get to talk to your doctor this way? <laughs> Well, you do more than most people, I think. <laughs> well, I, I drop in with ailments now and then, but I always self-diagnose, so I, I cut your work in half. That's true. So then <laughs> you get to a little bit about other things. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it it it's such a um, it, it, it's 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 an honor to be able to put your story out there because. Um, there's magic here and, and there's, you know, his spirituality comes out so beautifully and his philosophy is so, so, so greatly there and, and you portray it so beautifully, even though I know you know it and I know you believe most of it, but, but you haven't gone into it with waiters on, but it's, um, you know, it, it, it's there and it's palpable and you can feel it and it gives you. Um, there's a sense of, 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 of hope and joy here because it was handled so beautifully. You kind of want to make sure that, that, that you know, when, when your time comes, that, that you handle it that well, you know? Yeah. So thanks again, and uh, I will be in touch. Okay, Barbara. Thank you, darling. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye, honey. Radio at freedomslips.com. We'll be right back after this message. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning! Warning! Trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious. 
makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station.